to Didn't I Blow Your Mind this time, the show where we introduce one another to films that the other hasn't seen, maybe hasn't even heard of, in an attempt to blow one another's minds. What am I talking about? I'm talking about every episode, either Lex or myself picks a film the other hasn't seen for them to watch in the hopes that the film totally blows their mind. Then we discuss it on the episode. And we find out, uh, you know, if we blew their mind or not. Did I say blow your mind enough in that intro? I think I did. Let's just get into it. Okay, so my pick was The Gauntlet. And, I mean, being honest, it was my my fourth submission. I feel, hey, I feel good about this submission. But it, I did submit three other choices before that were okay. all rejected by the board. I, uh, there was no, I rejected nothing. I There was one film, a Korean film that I was excited to watch. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that you were going to be in charge of pronouncing, uh, pronouncing the names correctly. I can't even pronounce pronounce. And uh, and you seem to backtrack. And just the fact that you're bringing up that you picked up three films before this one seems like you're already walking back your pick no, no. a little bit. I'm not doing it. But okay. I will say the first pick, you said, are you blowing my mind or are you rotting it? Okay. So I, I don't remember. That, what was that? I'm not saying. Because okay. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to force it at a later date. All right. We'll there was there. a movie that you picked that I've, I've been avoiding my entire life. What? Uh, You've I've been, been avoiding av- your entire life. There why? was a movie. Can I that ask you- why? Yeah, I can. Because on Cisco and Ebert, they talked about how repulsive it was. And, it, and they described parts of the movie. And it really scared me. And I've never wanted to watch it. So this, you're genuinely afraid of this film. No, I just felt like it was gonna it was gonna be a bummer. It was like the time you brought me to see Cannibal Holocaust. It was just gonna, it was gonna start off like here's this fun we're gonna see this fun transgressive movie, and then 20 minutes in, I was just gonna be bummed out. So I pitched it to you as a lighthearted Cannibal Holocaust, as a, a lighthearted romp. I think I lost a bet. Actually, I know I lost a bet. I thought Peter Stomar did a cameo in The Sopranos. Do you remember that? <laughs> Vaguely. There was there is a there is a uh, in the second to last season of The Sopranos when Finn drives into a parking lot and he sees the Sopranos character that later came out of the closet is getting a blowjob from a man and the man lifts his head up. And I was dead sure that was Peter Stomar and some kind of fun little cameo. It looked just like him. I didn't even go back. I don't think I had HBO to be able to pause it. I, I was sure it was him. I couldn't find anything on the Internet Then I even called his agent. And the assistant, oh the assistant said, either I'm pronouncing it wrong now or it's pronounced Damari. So either way, the, the assistant, like I tried to explain why I was calling for the verification and they didn't find it interesting at all. And they were like, first of all, the name is pronounced this way. <laughs> and I was like, was he in? And they, they didn't know. And then I started to get worried that I was wrong. So oh I would like God. to find so out what actor out. that was. Yeah. And so I my mean, punishment was going with you to see Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust. Well, that's a great movie with a great soundtrack. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so this episode is The Gauntlet from 1977, directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke. Um, and I thought it was worthwhile to, uh, to point out. So this came out in December of 77. Um, do you know what came out in May of 77? Oh, uh, no, but I, I hope you're going to tell me, um, Smokey and the Bandit uh. and Star Wars. Um, Star Wars for me is less interesting as pertains to this, but it's certainly changed the landscape, obviously, but Smokey and the Bandit, uh, it just kind of, it, it feels like there are similar vibes, here it's it's not a a, a, a raucous honky tonkin good time like uh, Smokey and the Bandit is, but it is uh, movie star driven in a a sort of like to hell what anybody thinks I'm gonna do this my way fast and loose and and that to me uh, uh, they they share that spirit. Oh, this this movie's fast and loose, all right. I mean, I was surprised. You mentioned it, and I was like, okay, so we're, we're going to watch this. I was surprised when I sat down that I hadn't seen it. This feels like a film that I would have watched as a kid. And as I was watching it, one thing that I enjoyed about it, there was almost a sense of nostalgia, even though I hadn't seen it. Because I think probably the first Clint Eastwood movies I ever saw as a kid were Any Which Way But Loose and the sequel. So him and Sandra Locke and those movies. And I've never revisited them. I barely 
remember I, I haven't seen many other films with her in it but uh, watching the two of them I was like oh okay this this feels like a much more serious movie than that than those two but uh, it feels like kind of that that period of, of Clint Eastwood felt very specific to my childhood and like watching his stuff on TV it certainly I, I feel like this movie paves the way for those two movies which uh, are really sort of defined a moment for him, I mean, the, the every which way and uh, but loose in any which way you can, um, if you don't know, uh, also star Clyde the orangutan um, and are just goofy comedies. Um, I, Clint's you, people begged him not to make those movies. And they were huge. The first one was the biggest hit of his career. Is that right? More, the biggest hit more, of his career. More money than Dirty Harry. Yeah. Wow. Um, so... Yeah, so so this sets the stage uh, a little bit, but like you said, uh, more serious. Um, I also got freebie and the bean vibes uh, from this movie. I don't know if you felt that. As uh, well. I got a little bit of that. I got a little bit of that. It was the heyday of car crashes and car chases, uh, crashes and chases being. It was when car chases were fun. Right. Right. Um, and, and so, I've got to say, I was, I was just listening to a tangent. I was listening to yep. uh, one of my favorite podcast guests of all time on any show, uh, William Friedkin, talking mm. about car chases being pure cinema because you wow. can't do a car chase in a, in a book. You can't do it in a song. You know, a real car chase done well is really pure cinema. And I, cool. I love that. I love that. Not that then, you know, car chases, I feel like took a hit when they started doing them on TV. And there's some great car chases they're always a little slower a little more sedate i love a good rockford files car chase um, where they're just eating up eating up time in the episode <laughs> i know it really um, is it's uh uh i always say about rockford files if he's going somewhere you see the see him get on the plane you see the plane take off you see the plane <laughs> land you see him get off the plane and then we uh, keep going um yeah so before this uh it looks like we had um of course, Dirty Harry was in 70, uh, no, 71. Um, he had already done Play Misty for me uh, as a director. And then um, it doesn't look he like he directed again until uh, Outlaw Josie Wales, I think, uh, which, which also starred Sandra Locke. And that's when their uh, long romance slash cohabitation began slash partnership slash partnership so also a very unique hollywood romance yeah that so ended I, in a very ununique hollywood way of acrimony and pointed yeah in a lawsuit so maybe you think we should get into that after we watch the movie we talk about the movie or you want to talk about it now because i knew nothing about this as, as far as Sandra Locke, I, I really didn't know her history at all and uh, made a lot of assumptions going in and, and they were all proven wrong. Classic Lex. Classic yep. Lex. Um, uh, I mean, we can pepper it in throughout. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was uh, I'll just say that when she showed up in the movie. Um, yeah. At, at first, I found the performance a little over the top. She's kind of yelling and screaming. I was like, oh boy, I hope this isn't the level she's at the whole movie. And then she she kind of won that performance kind of won me over. And as I dug into her, I, I did know about the lawsuit a little bit. Um, yeah. as I dug into her wiki uh and other things, uh, I was intrigued. I really want to see her uh movie she directed, Rat Boy, which I remember was a a staple on HBO back in the day when I was a kid. Really? Uh, and also I had never of heard of it scared before. me a little bit. Yeah, I'd like to revisit that. And then she's got a movie with Teresa Russell called Impulse yep. that uh, I'm She also directed, by. right? Yeah. Or no, she's so, not in it. Yeah, she directed right. it. But she, she is she, in Rat Boy, I think. Uh, I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, I just remember the Rat Boy, of the titular Rat Boy being kind of cool and kind of scary looking. Absolutely. I just I just saw some some YouTube clips and, and was sh uh, shocked and delighted and appalled. So a very interesting career. Yeah. Nominated for an Academy Award for The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, which I've never seen. And, and um, right out of the gate. So she yeah. was um, sort of on the the she was from Tennessee on the pageant tour a little bit. Um, I think she did some modeling, got some got noticed. It says here this was a nice little um, uh, 
a little bit of trivia. Uh, it says, this is from Wikipedia, Locke's biggest coup uh, while in, uh, employed there uh, at, a, at a news station was hosting actor Robert Loja when Loja visited Nashville to promote his TV pilot, The Cat, during which he, uh, he flirted outrageously with Ooh. Locke, quote unquote. Um, so that was back in the 60s. Um, but then okay. I don't think Robert Loggia flirts uh, uh, passively. I feel like he's only flirts aggressively and outrageously. I, I, I believe. I that. bet he comes on like a a locomotive. <laughs> Loja, baby. <laughs> um, so yeah, like you said, hardest lonely hunter was her first role. She got uh, an Oscar win for it, um, and then she did sort of a string of lesser known um, studio movies. I think they definitely fall in the the realm of. Uh, 70s indie vibe Willard. but this one had, yeah but have you heard of the second coming of suzanne i only only as of digging into her biography this week it sounded um, very interesting very interesting uh i guess inspired by leonard cohen's suzanne um probably too much uh, uh uh to unpack here based on what i'm reading about the plot but um maybe for another time um but then she was cast in the outlaw josie wales with clint eastwood um like i said the romance began the relationship began and uh she was just is... just dipping a toe in a romance with uh, philip kaufman i saw when, that when uh clint swept her off her feet hey guess what, what? take it take a hike writer clint eastwood's here <laughs> Oh my god! I can't believe she even you know mentions it. He j- it just makes Coffin sound like a loser. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe ten years from then when he had the right stuff, but uh, he didn't have right. the right stuff then. Heyo! Not for not for someone that I mean, yeah. She really she's a really uh, engaging screen presence. I almost find it's almost like some kind of uh, Judy Greer meets Farrah Fawcett Ooh. vibe coming off her. I like um, it that I mean, and as uh, in the highest uh, as high praise. So it says that um, she got equal billing on the poster with with Clint Eastwood, which I love guess the poster those days. Yeah, Frank Frazetta, and also it sounds like the the script was kicking around for a little bit before uh, Eastwood decided to star and direct in it. Um, they replaced Steve McQueen and Barbara Streisand, and that didn't work out. I wonder why. Egos were a, a clashing. I guess Marlon Brando at one point might have been in it, been an option too. I was, I, you know, you know, when you hear about casting, sometimes you have that alternative movie running in your head. So yeah, I did yeah. have the McQueen Babs version running in my head in the meantime. I mean, it seems like it might uh, kind of tread on the getaway a little bit. I can't imagine Steve McQueen and Barbara Streisand. Uh, I, I just could imagine them in, in anything would be entertaining, but those two big egos it's it's hard to imagine them doing a movie together but um yeah it would have been interesting would have been well, interesting. you know what's funny though is that they they do eat whether they have chemistry or not that they do individually fit in the roles that we see on the screen like i could totally imagine barbara streisand kind of giving a similar performance to sandra Locke, and uh, same with the stoic mcqueen too yeah should we jump in let's should we jump get in. into this movie let's jump into it um, I would say right off the bat, uh, I, I, I was I was in love with the Phoenix skyline uh, shot the way it was shot. Uh, it's dawn. I, gotta... I could hear you squealing with excitement even watching alone, and I felt the same way. The the, the jazzy opening, and then oh. that uh, that shot of Clint coming out of the dive bar at uh, at dawn with the flickering neon. I was like, this movie, this is a Lex Raby. <laughs> uh, real treat that I'm in for. I really, I really settled in. I was getting very excited. Oh, that's great. Um, I thought the fonts were great for the titles. That really, that stepped it up a notch for me too. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, it's a total vibe right from jump. And this thing <laughs> moves into the story very quickly. Um, he drives from the bar that morning straight to police headquarters to uh, just another day for a uh, a cop in Metro. And we're greeted by his partner, uh, played by Pat Hingle, who uh, what's your what's your take on that? 
Oh, I love Pat Hingle. I oh my! He's 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 great. He's just like this big badger, um, <laughs> and he's he kind of reminds me. I'm sure he's has he he's played Nick Nolte's dad at some point, right? Or is is he Nick Nolte? Aren't is they he about a... the same age? Oh, um, I guess. Oh my! Hingle's like Lord, ten no. years older. older. Yeah, he oh, was okay. in like East of Eden. He's he's, I, he's quite got a, bit a older. Fa- oh really? Because he's got a face like he he could have been. Uh, 35 there but he that's just the, <laughs> the way he looked yeah. you know he just looks 20 years older I, it's hard to tell but okay good good um so he's he's uh, and i just want to say uh, i was intrigued with clint's character just from the opening he opens a car door a bottle of liquor falls out his bolo ties practically like loosened around his scorpion waist. bolo so tie un, unshaven and i was like oh okay so we're gonna see clint playing like a real character, like a real sad sack cop. Uh-huh. This is not a badass, dirty Harry. This feels more like uh, a Steve McQueen uh, right. type character. Um, uh, so that that was interesting, and I think it I think it works, and I think in other ways it doesn't work. But I I was intrigued just from the beginning that that Clint is kind of this, uh, you know, he's he's kind of this uh, this renegade, but not a renegade uh, in a good way, kind of a renegade kind of loser of the department. Yeah, absolutely. Defined right off the bat as as kind of the the loser and the drunk. Um, his Pat Hingle, his partner, has is no longer his partner because he got a promotion. Um, and and Hingle's performance is is so lovable right off the bat. I mean, clearly he has the 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 character has so much love um, for his his former partner and looks out for him. He's the first one to tell him <laughs> to, to get a shave before he goes and he, he's supposed to talk to the commissioner uh, and uh, he doesn't know why, but we're about to find out. Um, uh, also, the character names in this movie are, are pretty fantastic. Um, and <laughs> I love a movie that does not shy away from giving you first and last names, like at, at every turn. Um, and our, our guy's named Ben Shockley. Oh yeah. And they, they really use, they really use Shockley to great effect. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, so he goes to talk to the commissioner and now, Oh, I'm sad that I don't have it immediately in front of me but the commissioner also has a has a fantastic character name oh I, are you talking about edgar a blakelock sounds like a real hard ass to me well guess what he is <laughs> he is spit shines his shoes tough stuff that guy um so blakelock gives him his assignment uh which is to fly to vegas uh to pick up a prisoner and bring that prisoner named gus malley uh back to phoenix uh where he he is going to be a nothing witness for a nothing trial so duncan let me just ask you uh, when he said that did you believe that he was just going to be a nothing witness for a nothing (laughs) trial? uh well one thing about this movie is you that uh you could see it as a flaw you could see it as uh, an interesting plus a unique plus is that you are very much ahead of Clint Eastwood's uh, Shockley character the whole step of the way. This is a very dumb cut. (laughs) So the moment the commissioner uh, uh, stresses the fact that this is a throwaway assignment, a nothing witness for a nothing case, uh, you know that that, uh, the commissioner with the spit-polished black shoes is rotten to the core. He's a rotten (laughs) apple. Uh, Everybody knows it except for Clint's character. So I, I now that you mentioned that about Steve McQueen, I actually think that Steve McQueen would have been better in in this role as a dumb cop. Well, like I mean, I, if I, we're going to get into a McQueen versus Clint Eastwood, I agree. I, I there's no question. There's no question. Because as much as Clint, he you know he he does a good job, and then he has other pluses. But he's play, too playing a sad sack, a drunk loser is not his. His, his like I'm, you know, as uh, the bottle falls out of the car and he's walking, you know, hung over, but he's still got this great posture and he still looks like he could kick somebody's ass. Um, his his dim bulb when Steve McQueen p- plays a dim bulb, there's a there, there's a there's a, a, a different element to it. I don't know. There's kind of a toughness to it where Clint Eastwood's. I don't I don't I don't quite believe his dim bulb enough. I don't either. 
uh, yeah, which is what you, as a viewer, you struggle with a little bit. As, as Plans, no on. offense, no <laughs> offense to you. You're just you're bright. You're a very bright bulb. Um, that's, that's right. Too bright. So yeah, we're we're kind of a, a a little bit ahead of the plot, you know. Before you can say forty eight hours, before you can say midnight run, Clint's it's on happening. his way to. Well, both obviously, for fairness, this movie this predates those, but uh, it does. Uh, you know, he's he's got a job to do, and before you know it, he's on his way to to Vegas to pick up this uh, this uh, irascible uh, prisoner. Um. So jumping to that scene, uh, the <laughs> so. The reveal is that Gus Malley is Augustina Malley, um, and it, Augustina is played by Sandra Locke. Um, Ooh, but of course, what the a lady prisoner? <laughs> 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 so, but the guy at the front desk really puts Ben Shockley through the, through his paces. Look, I've got extradition papers for one Gus Malley, and the address is this building. Now you better check again. Look, I got all kinds of fellas in here. I got a Smith, I got a Gonzalez, I got a McNaughton. Take your pick. But I don't have a fella named Gus Malley. Supposed to have been picked up yesterday, held for extradition. Somebody screwed up. Wait a minute now. When you get back to Phoenix empty-handed, all I said was, I ain't got no guy named Gus Malley. Augustina Malley, I got over in women's detention. <laughs> Actually, you asked for a man. I do have a woman named Augustina Malley. Um, so we're off. Which which are the, the, the fun moments in this movie that it keeps kind of stopping the plot for, pausing the plot for, digressing for, that I really enjoyed. Right. Uh, even the scene before he, he's taking the cab to the police station <laughs> and the cab driver is this chatterbox Vegas local and he's just chatting on and on and Clint's just sitting in the back and finally Clint's just like, hey, cut the tourist crap and shuts the guy up. And you're almost like, what is the point of this scene? And it's really just to have this guy blabber on to give Clint's character a chance to say shut up because it's so much fun to watch Clint suffer fools and then shut them down you're right and we see that again and again and there's a there's a lot of uh a, a lot of really juicy uh, uh great uh vegas character actors and little scenes character characters and little scenes uh in there little vignettes character characters what am i talking about um, well that's yeah that's, that's what i little find moments like that that's what i find to be the most fun about this movie is that it's as if Eastwood is just deciding to play to all his recognized strengths, uh, whether it be exactly what you said or, or just action. And the 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 story and character are are thin threads to get us through to what um, will be the some thinnest amazing... of threads. <laughs> will will be some pretty visually uh, exciting things to watch. I think um, so. The setup here is so we get um, uh, Shockley and Mally uh, meet each other in the cell and we find out that she's a prostitute. You see, we've got a problem, you and me. We don't like each other much, but we have to take a trip together. Now, you can come along peacefully or you can be a pain in the ass. But I'm warning you, you mess around and I'll put the cuffs on you. You talk dirty, I gag you. If you run, I'll shoot you. My name is Shockley and we've got a plane to catch. Now, let's go. They're still cutting your papers. Swell. Can you ask him to hurry it up, please? And within 10 seconds of meeting her, Clint has already backhanded her into a, a wall. That's uh, true. Which I, you know, I just want to point this out that it's a, you know, a movie of its time, but also uh, there is a, there is a lot of. Uh, it's not the first time he does man it on woman violence in, in the movie. Yeah. In fact, at one point, uh, a character, uh, one of the female villains has, says to Clint, you wouldn't hit a woman. And obviously we know from having watched the first hour of this movie, like, have you met this guy? And also uh, <laughs> there's just no uh, Sandra Locke's character gets right into it and says, you're a dead man, Shockley. They're going to kill me. And if you're with me, they'll kill you, too. Who's they? I don't know. Well, why are they going to kill you? I don't know. Pack your lipstick. Dad is the truth. Look, they've even got a line on it, on us. they got a betting line on just about everything in this town. Ponies, football, the fights. 
Nobody gives a damn about a dumbass cop and a two-bit hooker on Air West. Shockley, listen to me. Look, it's 50 to 1. We don't make it. Ask any bookie. Don't drown in the sink. And I don't want to give uh, a spoiler so early in the show, but uh, they turns out to be, if you can believe it, the mob. The mob. <laughs> in Las Vegas? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they're running bets. Who they, really, you, who, they really hold to, that out for a long time. Who's out to kill time. me in running bets in Vegas? <laughs> I wonder who it would be. Let me see. An old boyfriend? Nope. This guy screwed over. A John? Oh, it's the mob. So Eastwood discovers in the next scene that they are literally betting on uh, uh, them not making it um, in Vegas. It's a, it's a bet you can place and the odds are getting, uh, higher and higher, uh, with every 10 minutes that, that pass. Now I'm not a gambler, but there's a scene where he's in a coffee shop, a great Vegas coffee shop. Uh, it's and so there's good. a great scene with a, with a, another chatterbox, uh, uh character <laughs> actress. And there's a horse, uh, th that he thinks is code for, uh, the prisoner he's taking back to Phoenix, uh, that he, and he, he thinks this is, uh, this is them betting on their lives, but do, do they have coffee shops like that with in Vegas? Oh, with the, yeah, boards? I mean, they I, still, I, I guess now it they're didn't digitized. feel like a, it didn't feel like a stretch that there would okay. be, you could see, um, who you could bet on in, in a coffee shop. I also yeah. got the vibe that it could have been, you know, casino adjacent, uh, right. that kind of thing. So he decides that uh, he believes her enough to for them to sneak out in an ambulance. Um, and then that's right off the bat. Mob is coming after them. And uh, on the road, they get uh, shot at by a, a large black sedan. And um, that chase is pretty good, I thought. Yeah, I thought so, too. There's a moment where the passenger door flings open and she's kind of holding on to the side of the door. Um, really fun. Really fun. It's fun to see her wield a big gun. Yep. And then uh, we know this is seriously the real deal when they get to the rental car and uh, 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 Eastwood asks uh, the ambulance driver to, to pull the rental car around. And, of course, it blows up. So this is as serious as it gets. But and but yet our detective, uh, our Clint Eastwood character, is still not wise to what's going on. I just want you to know that even if we do get to Phoenix, I'm not testifying at any lousy trial. Well, that's your problem. My job's just to get you there. Your job? You'd risk your life for something as stupid as this? All you've got's your fucking job. I just do what I'm told. Yeah, well, so does an imbecile. That's right. He's called it in to um, Blake Locke and says he needs some police escorts. And um, we get something that I think is really what locks this movie into something a little bit exceptional. Um, and that is, of course, two cops don't show up. Uh, an army of cops show up and they open fire on the house and they riddle it with bullets so much so that the house crumbles because it's been fired upon so much. What what did you think when you saw that? Uh, I, I agree. The fact a lesser movie would have riddled the house with bullets. This movie really goes for it. It has a almost Blues Brothers size parody amount of cops showing up uh, to riddle the house with bullets. And she escapes through. I mean, every Vegas escort has a secret tunnel running through her ranch house in the desert that to take her to safety. Um, and she escapes through that. And Clint eventually does, too. There's a lot of shooting things up in this movie, uh, really three different sequences where things are just the, the plan by the cops is just to shoot things up. It's not about going in and getting somebody. It's not about trying to get a, a, a better shot. There are no snipers. It's just about shooting the hell out of things, which, uh, you know, is always pretty fun to watch. So I, I respected the, the lengths the movie went to. It, it is you could call it. It's a it's an old fashioned shoot 'em up in that way. And it's old fashioned movie making like that's where for this, th that's where a lot of the budget went in this movie bullets. is bullets, squibs, squibs. Yeah. That's right. Drill. So evidently they drilled that house full of holes and then loaded it with squibs and then obviously painted over it to, to make it look great. And then they just blew the hell, hell out of this house and then 
let it crumble. Um, but we're going to see that more and more as the movie goes on, that, that, that the budget in this is in some very big moments. And also, I would say all along, it, I think it looks fantastic. I, I, it's just fun yeah. to look at. And also as it goes along, as they have a couple costume changes, they look cool as shit. Like his, you know, white shirt. He looks like, um, without the glasses, he looks like Michael Douglas and falling down like that yeah. short sleeve shirt with a short tie. And she's got this blue top on and the, I've, like, I've awesome... never heard Michael Douglas and falling down described as cool as shit, but I, I know what you mean. You know what I mean? I They're, what mean. It's, it's, it's a little punk rock almost. Has Clint ever had an ounce of fat on him? I mean, it's just lean machine. That lean guy. and mean. Lean and mean. Meditates every morning. I read. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't know he was a meditator, but he is. So the way the chemistry is not really working in the first half, I would say, it made me yearn for uh, the chemistry that's happening with, it's kind of the same formula with Two, two Mules for Sister Sarah. Um, have you seen that movie? I have not. McLean. I have not. I don't like being Siegel. called out for not seeing films, uh, but uh, okay. I have not. Well, but I th- I thought their chemistry did click in and I felt like, okay, I am watching a couple. I can see why they work together a bit after. You mean I'm? you're watching a, a couple in a real, real life, life couple? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah I, I see it. I just don't see it in the, the first 20 minutes or, or it's strained. I would agree. Well, so as the as they get to know each other, Lex, oh. Oh, that's well. when the real chemistry comes in. You can't fake when you're a couple like that and, and uh, things are that hot. You can't fake just anger and nonchalance. So once they get to know each other, the oh real chemistry God. kicks in. And I do feel like there's a – as much as it feels like Clint's stretching a little bit with this character, I wonder if the fact that he's playing off his real-life uh, lover – um, helped him kind of be a little more vulnerable because he's playing this kind of dumb guy. He's not the the sharpest tool. She's getting a lot of the best lines. She's getting kind of the leg up on him. Um, she sees uh, right through him. She knows and, things about him that he doesn't even know about himself. You know, and that that's fun. Stuff. And that's yeah. fun to see in a Clint Eastwood movie because it's a change yeah. of pace. Yeah. Um, so what did you... <laughs> What did you think about this uh, constable that they uh, they hijack a cop car and and they're they're stuck with this this constable uh, for the next little bit here? Um, thoughts on this guy? I, I have a lot of thoughts. Well, first of all, this constable, I was like, all right, I know this actor. Who is, Who is this, this actor? Yep. And then it then it hit me. This yep. is Bill McKinney. I had just I've just revisited Deliverance uh, oh, on the big really? screen. Um, oh wow! About two months ago. Yeah. So this is one of the the mountain man mountain men, the mountain man that uh, famously tells Ned Beatty to squeal like a pig, and he's fantastic in that, and he's fantastic in this, and he was in uh, uh, seven Clint Eastwood movies in total. Oh, is that right? And you're he probably is... thinking he's so good. He's, He's got a he, face he that is so strange looking. I mean, yeah. it looks like his skin is stretched back. It looks like he's he's had like a couple facelifts, but he, uh, he hasn't, you know. He is uh, just wonderful and he is not afraid to be repulsive on screen, but he doesn't play it up. Did you see this quote from Burt Reynolds about uh, Bill oh, McKinney? No, I, I know I did not. Okay. He always played sickos but he played them well. With my dark sense of humor, I was kind of amused by him. McKinney turned out to be a pretty good guy who just took the method way too far. Whoa, took it way too far. What does that mean? I don't know. I I just like that he always went there. um, And, uh, you know, if he was going to creep somebody out, he was going (laughs) to... gonna creep you out in real life and that was yeah i guess he was part of the actor studio like he's the real deal lex you're probably asking yourself geez i wonder if this actor felt uh overshadowed by such a big performance and deliverance did did he feel like that uh, overshadowed the rest of his career and, and regret that small role and my answer is i don't think so because his url uh until his passing for years was squeal like a pig.com get out of my face so he leaned into it oh leaned my into god it. that's fantastic so he plays a, a constable who's driving the two characters and he is uh suggesting 
having sex uh, with Sandra Locke's character. He is asking her questions. Apparently, he's the only police officer in Vegas who's never met a prostitute. So he's he's just getting really filthy with her. And it gets uh, gives uh, Clint a chance because Clint hasn't been the most chivalrous in this movie yet. It gives Clint a chance to kind of seem like the good guy compared to this scumbag right. uh, cop who's driving them. And it's, it's a really great sequence and it's really quirky it's really weird it's the kind of thing it's really weird anymore yeah and well acted i mean the, the, uh mckinney just he makes he makes you feel this desperation within him uh to to know these things and get turned on by these things in such an amazing way um it's it's so good i bet it don't take much to get you all wet and hot to trot does it Hey, come on, talk to me. I, I want to know what it's like being a whore. Actually, I always thought it was rather like being a cop. You did? <laughs> yeah. Not unlike being on the take at two dozen bars in downtown Vegas. Taking money from some politician each time you peel his drunken kid's Cadillac off a telephone pole. Strong-arming the Chicanos in the barrio on Saturday night. Busting kids for smoking grass, then taking a kickback from the heroin dealers. Or those occasions when you do bust a pusher and skim the hall when you've made the collar. So what you skim to your dope addict buddies on the court. <laughs> She's your own all our chicks, ain't she? As I see it, the only difference between you and me is that when I quit work, I take a long, hot bath. I'm as clean as the day I was born. But a cop, especially a flunky like you, the sheriff whistles, you squat. And what he does to you rots your brain. No amount of water on earth can get you clean again. You want to sit there and take that kind of crap? You were the one who wanted to talk. I know you don't like women like me. We're a bit aggressive. We're frightened. But that's only because you've got filth in your brain, and I'm afraid the only way you'll ever clean it out is to put a bullet through it. Well, does your wife know you masturbate? Evidently, that character is a, a big fan of Tab as well. Did you see that tab oh, yeah. can that's the just sitting on the can. dash for, like, you know, a good five minutes? Hey, somebody's got to pay for those squibs. Those that's bullet right. Holes. It's on their tab. Hey, oh. So, but yeah, and another thing I, I liked about uh, of, of him in this movie is the fact I really like the Eastwood, the kind of Clint Eastwood players that yes. pop up in his movies. So, uh, uh, you know, a perennial bad guy, Michael Cavanaugh is in it as the, the district attorney. Oh, um, yeah. What, what, what's he been in? He's, he's in The Enforcer. Okay. Um, and he's he's in a, he does a lot of TV as bad guys. I'm not sure if he was in another Clint movie besides the Enforcer, but I'm pretty sure he he has. He's look he looks a little different. He's got the mustache. Usually they yeah. really play up his um his facial uh facial not scars, but kind of pores a little bit. Um yeah, he was really good. His character name, speaking of character names, is Fighterspiel. Oh, I yeah. mean, oh, great yeah. name. I know it's it's amazing when the Pat Hingle character keeps being like, "You've got to trust Fighter Spiel's. Fighter Spiel's got our back. Fighter <laughs> Spiel's he's he's a good guy, solid guy. You're like something's off. Something's I think off. a little bit. Um, so then uh, we get oh we get the mob reveal. Uh, they shocker uh, of shockers. <laughs> I the mob's believe. tied up in this mess. <laughs> Sandra Locke's character says, I got a, basically, I got a bad feeling about this, which is that they're headed for the border um, where Phoenix cops, I mean, sorry, Arizona cops are going to escort them back to Phoenix. And uh, she's like, you know, I could be wrong. And this is where uh, uh, Shockley's uh, uh, lack of intelligence is is there's a spotlight really put on it as he really struggles with this idea that maybe <laughs> really the, tough to connect a to b here <laughs> that maybe the commissioner he's called like twice and every time he tells the location something bad happens um that 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 could go wrong uh but so they bail from the car the constable goes to the border and in a really 
cool sequence it, that actually reminded me of Magnum Force. Um, those all those very same cars pull up at the border and they riddle the cop car full of holes, uh, killing McKinney's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bullet the bullet budget goes up once more. Once more, click click click. They don't even look to see who's in the car; they just riddle it with bullets. Done. Uh, and our characters, our main characters see this and they, uh, disappear into the desert where we have another, uh, I think pretty amazing, uh, sequence. Um, they, they spend the night in the cave. They, uh, uh, a really scenic little, little Canyon. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, all, all the locations are great. Um, she at this point she sort of nails him as a as a drunk that he can't imagine why uh he would be framed um and she's like you're a drunk that's dispensable it's as easy as that and he's kind of like eh? he's um, like but I, I thought i'm the cop that gets it done <laughs> and he's that's really why he's going- weak he's really weak <laughs> um and then the next day, the morning, they wake up to uh, revving engines, and they go out, and we have this this scene with a bunch of bikers who it doesn't even need to ha- happen. But to your point, it's just a chance for Eastwood to have this sort of incredible "you damn hippies" monologue. Yeah, Eastwood gets his kind of there's a new sheriff in town moment to chew up the scenery with this motorcycle gang. And it keeps going on and on. He's got this big speech. You don't know what what he's getting to. You're like, okay, is he going to like commandeer one of these motorcycles for them to get out of there? Uh, and that ends up being it. You, you start to think there's something more clever going walk. on. It's a long walk. And I, I would say what helps it is that they cut back to – uh, Sandra Locke's character, and she's shaking her head like, this guy's an idiot, which I really <laughs> love because that's what you're thinking as an audience. You're like, is he is he peacocking for her? Like, wh- right. why is he going to such lengths with this motorcycle gang? Idiot. Mindless brain was stupid. Maybe even one of you girls, huh? Like what? I don't know what. And personally, I don't give a shit. The main thing is I'm going to have to bust you all. Of course, we do have a choice. No, wait a second. We have a choice. If you get your ass on those bikes and get out of here in the next 30 seconds, then I'll let you off with just a warning. However, if you give me any shit, any shit at all, in the next half hour, there's going to be more cops, more guns, more handcuffs, more marijuana sniffing dogs than you've ever seen in your wildest hallucinations. You hear me? 30 seconds. Um, yeah, he goes to a lot of trouble to, to commandeer one motorcycle for the two of them, which is a lot of fun to see them ride. Uh, you know, Clint puts on the sunglasses. She's got her arms around him. She's got the, the, uh, the, but the, her, uh, blouse or her shirt at this point is kind of a Daisy Duke tied around her waist. And you're like, I am, I was all on board with this couple, this cute couple. Yeah. And, and that actually is when I wrote down, they look awesome you know, blasting through the desert on this cool motorcycle. Like you said, those sunglasses are great. Just the whole vibe is fantastic. And then we have this pretty fantastic chopper, uh, helicopter versus uh, motorcycle chase in the desert through tunnels. Um, It's just a blast to watch. It's fun to see Clint, the, you know, dirty, hairy, straight arrow, uh, riding this hog through the desert easy rider style. I feel like he's kind of being like, Hey, I can counterculture it up too. You know? <laughs> right. I but do no, it all. But no hippie shit. Yeah. No hippie shit. But, but, um, we catch up with those damn hippies on the train The the motorcycle falls apart and they, they jump onto, uh, a train and it turns out it's the, Guess who's uh, in the box car. <laughs> it's the bikers. He stole the bike from, um, and it gets a little weird. I'm not going to lie. It gets awkward. Uh, yeah, trigger problematic trigger warning. Uh, I feel like we had a a, a also problematic, uh, well, maybe problematic but for, for the time, uh, rape sequence in our last film. And in, in this film, Clint is uh, has a has a three on one fight with uh, two motorcycle men and one motorcycle gal. He's being tied up to the the slats in the rail car with some wire, and uh, meanwhile. Sandra Locke's character is uh, to, to, to save him, takes her 
top off and, and uh, dares them as to a, as a yes yeah. to 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 come at her and uh, and that's what happens and then it's unclear what the plan is if this is just she's sacrificing herself for Clint I guess she's she's hoping she's that he's going to be strong enough to break through that that wire he's tied up with or she's just she's she's saving saving him it's the last possible thing she can she can do but like you said we're always one step ahead he manages to get free uh and throw these guys and and gal off the train um and then they cruise into town and we actually uh, what comes next is uh, a a a little rest beat um where they get a a hotel room and finally sign uh come together as a couple it's it's not the the most believable escalation of the relationship but like you said given the fact that they're sort of a couple in in real life you can go there with them for the sake of uh the premise and the story it it, it's sort of this movie is fun enough that you'll take these leaps Uh, yeah clint's clint picks up the phone calls around what's he ordering a pizza and then he orders some flowers oh that's right he orders her flowers and a bottle of wine and they start dreaming of a life together they that it's it's as he's thinking about um, getting his job, showing that he's a cop that gets the job done and how he's going to pull off getting her to uh, the court on time uh, in Phoenix. She's suggesting, what if we just get a little old place uh, by the Grand Canyon and just have a couple kids and how great would that be? She even goes so far <laughs> as to call her mom and tell her she's met a, a, a rock solid guy and, and that's exactly what they're, they're going to do. And we find out that she's a college gal and she used she's to got be her a BA. She's she, got her BA. That's right. Uh, used to be a secretary and, and just said, forget that. Um, so a little background on uh, old Gus Malley. I had this dream, boy. <laughs> I had this dream of meeting the right woman, having kids. Most of all, breaking that big case. Just see him pinning captain bars on me, and well, the years went by, and never did meet that right woman. Seemed like other guys were always breaking the big case. After a while, you get to the point where you just put in your twenty and wait for retirement. Now I get the big case and I'm picked to go down with it. And we also find out, uh, is that the same? We also find out the, the, the reason behind her being chased by the, right. the mob, uh, the kind of disturbing backstory of, yeah. a, of, a, we of find a bad out, John. We definitively find out that that bad John is Commissioner Blake Locke. And, um, the, what is she going to testify? Ideas. <laughs> oh man, he, he he's got some very twisted ideas about what constitutes lovemaking. What is the the trial? It's it's just that he's a sleaze bag. Like what? Uh, pre- that is a good question. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the uh, so just for the for the listeners, uh, yes, the the uh, the commissioner character at one point the backstory is uh, uh, hired. Uh, Gus, our Sandra Locke character, for some very violent uh, uh, sexual hijinks. Uh, I imagined it was kind of a combo of that and some mob secrets. Yeah, I mean, that's it didn't what, I, seem like it was just that. Um, yeah, I think that's what it is. It's it's roping in the the um, the commissioner and and other uh, officials into the mob scheme that's happening between Phoenix and, and, right. and while I was enjoying Vegas. the movie, I was also not, uh, you know, working overtime on unpacking, packing the plots. I feel like there were some, there were some plot holes. I'm not, there were some plot holes. Yeah. So, uh, but- I, I was also at this point being like, why the fuck is this movie called the gauntlet? And guess what? I'm, I'm about to find out why you're about to find out. So, uh, uh, Shockley calls uh, uh, Pat Hingle and says, here's my route. Um, let the the cops know. Um, I know they want to take me out, but I don't want any innocent people on the street. So uh, this is to ensure that this goes 
as smoothly for the public as possible, but but not for him. But anyway, that's sort of the 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 wang dangled setup we get um, to the finale where Clint Eastwood hijacks a passenger bus and drives it into Phoenix and he arms it. He takes a little, has a little A-team moment where the folks that were, the some of the passengers that were on the bus are going to help out Eastwood um, just add an iron plate to the front to, to make it drivable. Um, and he drives into Phoenix. Uh, what did they, they put that, they put that iron, that, that over the windshield. It's right? in, it's it's right. It's between the yeah. steering wheel and the windshield, and it sort of wraps around and makes a little iron cocoon for them as they uh, drive into Phoenix. And uh, sure enough, there are police lined along his route, um, ready to uh, fire down. And that is what the gauntlet is. The gauntlet is his his avenue into the courthouse. And this is, I'm getting a little flashback, a TMI alert. I had a tummy ache when I was watching this and I was, my stomach was killing me as I was watching this. So I was enjoying it, but I was also in a lot of pain. So I don't know what I occasionally. ate. I don't know what I ate. Um, so uh, the gauntlet uh, sequence, it's so ridiculous, but they, I, I feel like what works in it is they really, uh, they really, not just double down, they quadruple down on it by just the amount of cops hanging from every rooftop, but piled high on alleys in this deserted street, just riddling the bus with bullets. Our third huge <laughs> riddle with bullets sequence. And yes, they put the iron thing on the front of the bus, but there's really not much of a plan. I mean, it's just like, let's lay low and tr- hope we don't get riddled by bullets. Um, dumb there's, dumb there's, plan by a dumb cop. There's not much of a plan. And then at one point they switch seats and she's driving and then he's on the, on the ground. Oh, cause I mean, he gets shot. Yeah. 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 And Hingle and Hingle gets killed, um, in a, in a moment where the, <laughs> maybe he's going to take, uh, the, uh, what's his name? Fighter Spink. What's, what's his name? Uh, 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 Fighter Spiel, I think. Fighter Spiel. Fighter Spiel has tricked, uh, Pat Hingle into, uh, uh, saying that, I've got a back way to the courthouse and I will um, get you guys in safely so you don't have to do this crazy plan. And it uh, turns out that Fighter Spiel is in with the commish uh, just as uh, he's mobbed up like everybody else. Right. And I would say one one moment where I was not uh, in front of the movie was uh, there's a nice little moment with Pat Hingle trying to convince Clint and Sandra Locke to come in with him. And they've set Pat Hingle up as such a great guy, as Clint's loyal partner, that there's a moment where you're like, hold it, is he in on it too? Yeah. And uh, Clint and Sandra Locke were really in this nice little pose. She's got her arms around him while he's driving the bus and she's like kissing his shoulder. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. All that stuff was really sweet. And I was like, this is definitely a real couple. She says, he says to her, because she's proven herself to be much more savvy than him, what do you think? And she looks at Pat Hingle's character and they kind of shoot him from a lower angle yeah. where he kind of gives her a hard menacing look a little bit and that was the moment where i was like oh my god he might be in on it yeah yeah and then she she trusts him and i'm like "Uh uh-oh and they go outside and pat hingle gets killed and i thought that was really cool um that they you know they're a little miss little misdirect in a movie that uh is pretty pretty straight and narrow in uh in its in its plot line yeah yeah um so that really that scene the the titular scene is why i thought this would be a fun movie to watch um just that on its own feels like something that everybody needs to see it's just so insane um that it's such a feat of going back to the Friedkin thing. It's, it's a, it is cinematic in in every way. It, it, it feels like real movie making in the greatest way. Uh, it totally goes for you. I can't imagine it, that scene being any bigger. Uh, you know, Clint goes a hundred, a hundred Um, so the, the, finally the, the bus peters out on the steps of the courthouse. They're surrounded by cops. I, and for me, I really didn't, I, I didn't remember and I didn't in the moment really know where this was going to go because the cops have have there's one cop mentions like we're shooting at one of our own like this makes no sense. So that's enough to plant the seed of could the cops have 
some respect for Shockley here and and not go all the all the way. Right. It's easy enough to shoot up a bus when you know one of your own is inside it and you have no idea why you're trying to kill them. But then when you have to look them in the face <laughs> and you see their gorgeous prisoner and they've been, you know, battered and shot to hell and they've survived the gauntlet, then you know, maybe you're going to give them a little reprieve. Maybe you're going to hold just- back. Or, or or just enough of reprieve, just enough hesitation for the villain, the uh, uh, Blake the, Lock, Blake Lock to bust through, reveal the whole plot, and uh, reveal himself as as a very very bad guy. And and, uh, and oh my gosh! Um, so yeah, I also didn't see how that last moment was going to go either. Uh, uh, Sandra, <laughs> so Blake Lock shoots um, fighter spiel. Uh, when when Clint takes him hostage for a second to make everybody back off, uh, he shoots Fighter Spiel, and then he I think he gets one more bullet in in Clint Eastwood, yeah. and Sandra Locke grabs a gun and uh, and blows Blake Locke away, the man who abused her uh, in in that hotel in in Las Vegas. So so it comes full circle. Um, but I didn't see that coming. I thought we were going to have some sort of you know. Um, moment of 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 actual justice not um vengeance right well another another great uh, moment where where uh, our our female protagonist gets to take center stage clint eastwood secret feminist no i wouldn't go that far especially no. when you get into their yeah uh their romance and uh her 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 book her autobiography what is it called the good the bad and the very very ugly uh, so things did not end well for the two of them, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about their salad days with this movie. It's so not, she but, gets to say, but that's a story worth, life. um, worth looking up. It's, it's interesting and, and provides some, some insight on what Sandra Locke's career was like and what it was like to, you know, and what it could have been, live, what it could have been and what it was like to live with Eastwood, who is, um, Probably not a barrel full of monkeys on a day to day. That's right. Sounds like he's he's a he uh, in, in private is also a man of few words, not the most direct communicator, and uh, uh, quite controlling. Based on what Sandra Locke said, so um, it's it's an interesting Hollywood story. Um, Very interesting story. And who knows? Maybe we'll do Rat Boy or her uh, Teresa Russell movie in the future. I I'm down. I'm totally down. Um, so yeah, what did you? Uh, Oh, oh, we did. We got to say what the last line of the movie is. Oh, you're gonna have to remind me. Well, she's she's like, oh my god, oh, I can't believe you met. You're alive. You're alive. And he just mutters, the, which he had said uh, a couple times before. He just goes nag, 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 nag. Love it. Love it. Um, what'd you think? Is this a uh, is this a Scanners mind blower or a Travis Bickle uh, uh, soft click? Soft click. Uh, let me think here. Well, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed it. Tummy ache aside. Tummy oh, ache aside. I really enjoyed it. Had a lot of fun. It felt like a movie where I was like, boy, I could, um, I'm so surprised that I wasn't, you know, cross-legged sitting in front of the TV watching this yeah. as a kid. I, I'm shocked. I somehow missed this one. And, um, and uh, I did enjoy it. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to revisit kind of some of the sillier uh, Clint movies. I agree. Um, uh, and see the two of them together. I I I, I was, uh, yeah, won over by the two of them. That said, uh oh, uh, you know, the movie as fun as it was, it felt like I was eating a nice greasy cheeseburger, and I love a cheeseburger. But I got to tell you, does is a cheeseburger blowing my mind? I'm not so sure. Depends I'm who not makes so it. Sure. <laughs> is it is it a Gordon so, Ramsay cheeseburger or is it a McDonald's cheeseburger? So uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. I would not put it at brain blow status. I think uh, I think plenty of our listeners would like it. If you're a Clint fan, if you're a kind of an old school action type of guy, um, and it's got some uh, really out there sequences. Yeah. Um, so it was. Uh, it it's, was close. Now, am I am I just uh, tit for tatting you because you didn't give Awaken Fright, a movie that uh, left hold Martin on. Scorsese's jaw on the floor? Hold uh, you on. Didn't give that. I a, gave a, you a movie that has ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and you said it is not. It is outside your comfort zone. So what, I. What, what are you talking about? What movie? I can't tell you. Maybe we'll use it at a later, later date. But the movie that we, I think you watched it. 
I did. I wanted to talk about it. I can't wait to talk about it. I was only asking you if you, uh, if you, who was going to handle the pronunciations in this uh, foreign film. All right. All right. We're going to get there. This okay. is this is a teaser for future episodes. Okay. Um, but or, or, okay. or was I playing mind games, trying to like back you into the corner to pick something more lowbrow, so I could be the more highbrow of the of the duo? Who knows? <laughs> it could, it could knows? have been that. Time will I, tell. I've been a, I've been victimized. Um, okay. Well, this was fun. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, I had a good time and, uh, let's do this again. Well, of course we will. We've got a hit show on our hands. Of course we're going to do it again. I can't wait. Next one is you. And I will be blowing your mind. I can't wait. All right. Join us again on didn't I blow your mind this time at another time. Catch you later. Didn't I blow your mind?